Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Exodus chapter 27 and verse 1, And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof, and his horns shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with brass. And thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels and his basins and his flesh hooks and his fire pans. All the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. And thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass. And upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath. And thou that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. That the net may be even to the midst of the altar. And I just want to preach a little bit about the net this morning. The Lord would help me. We'll talk about this from the scripture. I believe the Lord's going to help us today. Why don't you lift up your hands once again in your voice with me and let's pray together for the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the touch of God to be upon the remainder of our time together this morning. Jesus. We're asking you to anoint. We're praying, God, for your special blessing to resonate here this morning and upon this service, upon every person that is here. You know their needs. You know what they came desiring from you. You know, God, what they're hungry for in their heart. And I'm praying, God, that you would minister. You would allow, God, for your will to be done. We're so thankful, Jesus, for the opportunity to be here today, to stand before you this morning. What a privilege. And I'm praying, God, that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Aren't you thankful for him? Hallelujah. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. Everyone knows what a net is. In fact, the majority of us probably sometime this morning used a net got your attention now don't I if you were on the internet you used a digital net everyone understands what a net is and what the purpose of a net is a net has one purpose but it is used in different manners it's really designed to catch uh, but catch can be used in two different ways one is to snare or to trap, and that's commonly what we think of a net as being. And the other is used as a form of safety. We call it a safety net. The Bible actually has a lot to say about this. 
In Psalms 35 and 7, for without cause have they hid from me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. In other words, they have placed a net in a place where uh, maybe in a path or a trail or a common place of traveling, and the intent was to ensnare me, the psalmist said. Or the intent was to trap me. Psalms 57 and 6 says they have prepared a net for my steps. But this is really only half of the use of a net to snare, to trap, or to catch. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18 tells us, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And then straightway they left their nets and followed him. A net by definition is a network of material. And uh, it's cords or ropes that intersect with one another and they're tied at the end. And God's Word, the analogy is used here, and when you think of it, you could think of it as a net, because in Isaiah 28 and 10, it talks about line upon line and precept upon precept. And we know that this book that I'm preaching out of today is, is tied neatly together. Matter of fact, if you was to pull a snag in Genesis, it will pucker all the way over in the book of Revelation. That's how tightly woven together the Word of God is. But there is also something that we call a safety net. A safety net is placed under a subject to protect them in case of a miscalculation or a misstep or perhaps in the event of a fall. The net is there to rescue them, to save them from their destruction, save them from uh, being hurt or falling to their death. It is there to keep them from experiencing something of danger. And I know that most of us are aware in our world today what they call adrenaline junkies. Anybody know what I'm talking about? People that are always pushing the edge of the envelope. People that are never satisfied with just uh, playing it safe and living a normal life, but they've always got to try something new that is more dangerous. It may have started innocently. may have started like it was with me, uh, building uh, ramps in your front yard. Where your bicycle, you could, you could, uh, and it always seemed like those ramps got a little bit higher and more dangerous. And then you wasn't satisfied with just jumping off of that, but you wanted to jump over something. And I remember we would put objects out there. I walked out one day out of my trailer when we were evangelizing, and I saw the pastor's son and my oldest son had my youngest son laying out in front of one of these ramps, and they were jumping over him. And uh, I scolded them real good because 
Uh, he didn't realize when he lay there on that concrete that he was taking his life in his hands or putting it in theirs. But uh, I was reading recently there was a young man by the name of Alex Hanold that, that climbed up the face of the half dome that's in Yosemite. And many of you have seen pictures of that. You've either seen pictures of that or of Capitan. And uh, half dome is 4,737 feet to its top. And it's already in high altitude, so the air is thin, which adds to this challenge of climbing it. Now, the challenge of climbing it is, is quite spectacular in itself, but that that is just, uh, I, well, several people have done that. But what made Alex different than the rest is that he climbed up this half dome without any safety net, without any cords in case he was to lose his grip or ropes to catch him if he was to lose his grip and to fall. But he did what was called free climbing all the way up to the top of the half dome. And this was the first time that this had ever been done. And they actually ended up filming this young man doing this. And just to give you a little hint as to how dangerous free climbing is, in longevity they say only 1% of these people that practice free climbing end up surviving. But most of them perish. Most of them make mistakes and they fall. Can I tell you that, that it's just in the propensity of human humanity, it's just in the propensity of every one of us, no matter how much we train, no matter what we do, no matter our physical strength, there's going to be a miscalculation somewhere. There's going to be a mistake somewhere. There's going to be the loss of strength. There's going to be fatigue that is going to set in at an inopportune moment. And these people that practice these things, they want the rush. They want the adrenaline that comes from danger. Well, I, I think I can say with many of you that that's not for me. I'm not interested in climbing. I'm not interested in climbing with all the ropes you can give me the face of the half dome. I, I had set out on one occasion to try to climb the back of it, and it is steep enough, but that trip was canceled, and you actually have to get a permit to do that, and, and, and it's, a, it's a long trek up, up to the summit, but I can't imagine trying to climb the front of it. But there's people that live for this, and they like this rush of adrenaline that it brings to them. But I don't know about you, I'm afraid of such danger. I'm afraid of such, I'm not afraid to admit to you that I'm afraid of. Because I believe that God places the emotion of fear in us for a reason, for a buffer to let us know when danger is there. Now let me qualify that by saying there is a difference between the spirit of fear and the natural emotion of fear that God put inside of you when He created you, and it's innately there. The spirit of fear comes from the devil himself. The spirit of fear 
is the opposite of faith. The spirit of fear is what causes us to doubt when God wants to give us a miracle, when God wants to work for us. And the Bible tells us that there is a remedy for fear. Perfect love casteth out all fear. If my relationship with God is where it needs to be, if I am worshiping and living for the Lord and serving Him to the fullness of my heart, I, I can walk without that spirit of fear dominating my mind. I don't have to live under the siege of the spirit of fear in my life. But that emotion of fear that is there, you know, you feel that when you walk up to the side of a cliff and uh, you feel that 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 lightness and and uh, maybe maybe you feel that emotion of fear as it grips you and you know what that is that's god saying to you be careful don't don't make a miss that was placed there in creation by god the gospel of matthew chapter 13 and verse 47 says again the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered every kind. And so we, we think of the gospel. We think of the truth. We think of God's word many times as being a net that is cast out. And uh, we reach for people. We reach for lost souls. We want to see people saved. We want to see people get into the safety of this net. That's the desire of this church. That's the purpose of our existence. It's more than just just coming together and, and being blessed on Sunday and receiving what it is that we need from God, and that is a part of it. But even more than that, I want to see somebody filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to see somebody baptized in Jesus' name. I want to see somebody's life affected and changed by the power of the Lord. I want to see somebody that is sick healed. I want to see somebody that is bound delivered. I want to see someone that needs strength be restored. I want to see someone that needs a life put back together. Find that one that is able to renew and that one that is able to help them and bless them in this church service today. That's the reason why we're here. Matter of fact, when we began this service this morning, we began it with worship because we know that that's how we enter into the presence of the Lord. And we understand that once we get in the presence of the Lord, there's all kinds of possibilities. There's all kinds of things that can happen. There's all kinds of things that can take place in the presence of God. Do you believe that he's a miracle worker? Do you believe this morning that he's able to renew and to save? Do you believe this morning that our God God is able to do the work that we desire him to do in this place. Those possibilities become reality as we let our faith go and say, God, I need you to move as we stand in your presence. Oh, let's clap our hands and give him praise this morning. But this net that is referred to in our text in the Old Testament, sort of a strange text to our modern thinking, our modern mind. A lot of the descriptions of the Old Testament tabernacle and the furniture, which is what we're detailing here this morning, the furniture that existed within the tabernacle is strange and the order and the practices and the way that they worship God during that time may not be something that we're familiar with. But all of it has a type and shadow of things to come. In fact, 
The Bible tells us that the purpose of the law in the Old Testament is to bring us to Christ. It's a schoolmaster. It's, it's teaching us some things so that we may understand the covenant that we're now in and the relationship that we now have with Jesus Christ. It sheds light on things that were to come. And it talks about the altar. And I can't think of a more prominent and more important piece of furniture in all the Old Testament tabernacle. And still, in our relationship with God today, the altar is an important place. Now we know it's unlike the altar that is referred to here in the Old Testament, but any place that a person opens up their heart to God and has faith in Him and begins to cry out to Him from the sincerity of their heart, that place becomes an altar to them. I know in the Old Testament they had to go to a specific place and even specific times so that they could rendezvous there with God. But aren't you thankful that in our relationship with the Lord that any time we have need, the Bible tells us that he's a very present help. We know that we can call on him. And we know what name to call on when we call on him. We call on the name of Jesus. And when we call on the name of Jesus, every attribute that existed of God in the Old Testament, we know that it's all accessible in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I call on that name, I'm calling on a healer. When I call on that name, I'm calling on the one that is able to save. When I call on that name, I'm calling on the one that is able to deliver. I'm calling on the one that is able to work all things out in my life. And so as it begins to describe the construction and how this altar was to be built, it was very specific as it was with all of the details of the tabernacle. No, no detail was left out, as it were, but everything was so meticulous. And it begins to describe this. Of course, this is where the sacrifices were made. And the fire would consume those sacrifices. And of course, as different sacrifices depended or, or pertained to different things, uh, there was different manners and uses of different types of instruments during that, that sacrifice that was given. And I'm not going to go into all the detail of that. But it begins to talk about a network of brass that was in the midst of the altar. And it was there to catch the articles that would fall from where they were laid on the altar. And uh, we know that, that this altar, as it states here, had this grate or this net, as the Bible calls it, that was in the midst of the altar. Now, you and I, we, we don't walk uh, high wires and we don't, we don't try to, as some do, to take everything to the nth degree and see how close to danger that we can get. But I'm going to tell you in this life, we are all living a very delicate life before the Lord. This is a delicate walk. It's a careful walk. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, 
but as wise. What is he trying to say? What is the writer trying to convey here? He's trying to tell us, don't be careless, but walk circumspectly. In other words, every time you place your foot down, know where you're placing it. Be sure of where you're walking. Don't walk up against the edge of danger. Be careful in everything that you do because you're living in treacherous times. And this is a delicate walk. And if we've ever needed to be careful, I would say that we need to be careful in the 21st century that we live in. We're living in the last days, folks. We need to be more careful now than we've ever been. We need to be more aware now than we've ever been. We need to understand the sacredness of what we have and protect it with all that we have within us because we're living in a time and an hour when there's a, there's a devil that's out there that wants to place pitfalls along our path that wants to do his very best to disrupt our walk with God. He wants us to fall. He wants us to be destroyed. The Bible said the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That is the M.O. of the enemy that you're up against. So we must be careful. I don't want to take unnecessary risks. And I could spend a lot of time preaching about this. I don't want to play Russian roulette with my soul. Or might I say, I don't want to go without a safety net. I'm not interested in, in my spiritual walk being a, a, a free climber like this young man that climbed the half dome. But I want to be somebody that knows that wherever I go and whatever I do and whatever I partake of and whatever things I involve myself with, that the Holy Ghost is comfortable being there with me, that I have the Spirit of the Lord to guide me and direct me, that I have the presence of God to, to help me and secure me. If, if I am in a treacherous place, then I have to be extra careful. Hallelujah. Let me believe that here this morning. Because as experienced as you may be, you can still make a mistake. You can still, because we're all human, you can still make a miscalculation. And you can fall. Construction workers, especially those that work in very dangerous atmospheres and areas, maybe it's high elevations or up several stories on a building. Maybe it's those that work with high-powered electricity. Experience is an important thing, but it can also be, as much as it can be a friend, in other words, it can be a foe. Because experience can be an enemy if we allow it to cause us to become casual. Let me just talk to you just a moment. If we're not careful, we can think within ourselves. I've been around the church for a long time. I've been serving God X amount of years. I've had the Holy Ghost since I was this age. But I want to ask you a question. Are you still as careful as you was when you first got in this thing? Are you still walking with the Lord with the same type of attitude of wanting to please Him? Are you still, as you walk with God, are, are you still praying with the same intensity and the same desire, the same fervency that you entered into this walk with God with? 
Do you still, when you come to church, do you still focus on the things of God and not allow yourself to become distracted by everything else that may be going on? But you make church a priority and you make praising God a priority. When you come to his house, you didn't come just to be seen, but you come to worship God. You come to give praise to the Lord. When the word of God is preached and, and taught to us, do we still, do we still have the appetite that we used to have to receive the word of God and implement it in our lives? Or have we developed in our experience to a point that we're not, we're not really, we hear it, but we don't implement it. We, we, we're there, but we're not really engaged. We're at church, but we're not really in church. We're present, but we're not really progressing in our relationship with God. I think it's imperative if we're going to take the trouble to get here that we make sure we press in and receive everything that we need from the presence of God. Come on, I didn't come to criticize this morning. I didn't come to analyze anybody else. I come in need of God. It's me, it's me, oh Lord, that stands in the need of you. It's me, God, that needs to be filled. It's me, God, that needs to receive. It's me, God, that needs a fresh word from heaven. It's me, God, that needs you to speak to my heart. I'm not looking across the building at somebody, amen, and judging them. I come to receive from God. I didn't come to critique the words of the preacher I come to receive from God I didn't come amen just to be entertained but I come into the presence of the Lord to receive from him why don't you lift up your hands and your voices with me again and let's praise him together amen praise God Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. You see it with experienced construction workers and electricians and people that work with dangerous chemicals. After they've done it for a little while, they say, well, I don't really need that safety harness. I don't need the safety helmet. No, I don't need I don't need my goggles. I don't, I don't need that protective gear anymore. And they start depending upon themselves and relying upon experience. Sort of like a saint that says, I don't need to pray and touch God every day. I've learned how to walk with God, and I've learned how to do this. I've learned how to walk this tight rope, and I've learned how to live in this dangerous world without the safety mechanisms that God has placed in His Word that I need to follow. You know, every place of employment that has this type of dangerous work that they're going to be involved in they have certain procedures and manuals that are to be studied and many times they test their employees in these areas are are you sure you know the procedures if there's a, a spill of a, of a dangerous chemical do you know the procedures of how to handle this and and uh, if there's this certain type of thing that happens do you know 
uh, how to uh, to take care of the situation and safely walk through the steps uh, of, of making the area secure again. And, and they go through these things and, and many times they, they go over them annually or biannually and they constantly have retraining, not just training initially that orientation when you come to work there, but they, they want to go back over it again. Some people wonder why a preacher is always talking about the need of prayer and, and the need of, of being faithful to the house of God and the need of walking with the Lord daily. Amen. And the need of being sensitive to the Spirit and the need of worship and all of these things that are just practical and fundamental in our relationship with God. And sometimes we put pressure on the preacher saying, you know what? I've heard that message a lot. I've heard you talk about those things a lot. I've heard you, uh, you you expound on those things quite frequently. Why is it that you got to rehash it again? I'll tell you why. It's because there's something in all of us. If we're not careful, we'll forget. There's something within all of us. If we're not reminded, and if it's not placed at the forefront of our minds again, we'll let it go. But God, help me today to realize there's a net that you placed in your word and I'm dependent upon that I don't ever want to walk without the safety net I don't ever want to try to exist and get by in my relationship with God and survive and take chances without implementing this in my life Romans chapter number 3 and verse 23 says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and when you fall the key to your survival you notice I say when you fall, not if you fall, but when you fall. And I'm not making allowances for sin. I think you know better than that. But I'm saying none of us have our feet touch gold this morning. None of us have made it to the other side just yet. And when you fall, the key to your survival is where you fall. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, My children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not, not make an allowance for it. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Aren't you thankful for an advocate? Aren't you thankful that you can go bounding to the throne of grace and find help in the time of need? Aren't you thankful that you can run to him? You don't have to run away from him. You don't have to hide as Adam tried to. You don't have to try to cover it up, but you can come honestly and boldly before the throne of grace and say, God, I've made a mistake. I'm admitting it, and I need your help to be able to overcome it. And if I come before him, the Bible, said he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. I want to walk in life, but I don't want to walk in life without a safety. So first, we, we need to listen to the Holy Ghost. That's that voice that God has placed there. Once you receive his spirit, you ought to be sensitive enough and, and, and hone your sensitivity to the spirit of God. That if I don't feel comfortable with this, there's a reason why I don't feel comfortable. I don't want to override that. You know, there's certain safety mechanisms that are placed on equipment that you, you know, people has figured out how to override certain things. They, they can override that little 
bell in their car that tells them that they don't have their seatbelt on. And I know those of us that predate the seatbelt law, it takes a lot of getting used to. And we don't like it that, that somebody would, would put a law in place that would try to, but nevertheless, that's not my point. But the point is, is that there's, there's this, this bell that is going off and it's dinging and it won't stop. I was riding down the road with uh, Brother Ken Bo uh, several years ago. He was here preaching for us and we was riding down the road and he got into my truck and, and uh, that truck was relentless when it came to those uh, seatbelt warnings. And uh, it was flashing on the dash and, and then it started dinging and, and uh, it was like he didn't hear it. And we just kept on driving. We went seven more miles and it was still dinging. And it was getting more rapid and more annoying, might I say. And uh, so finally, I just looked over at him. And I was pretty annoyed by this time. And I said, you know, Brother Bo, that thing's not going to give up. You're going to have to give up. And you're going to have to strap it on. If you want to strap it on behind you, that's your prerogative. But at least clip the thing where it'll stop. Because, but you know, we learn how to override these things. I remember my grandfather used a skill saw and had a guard that came down. I don't know why he felt like that guard was always getting in the way, but he, he, he wedged a piece of wood up there to keep that guard up. And so it didn't have any guard. The only problem was he had had a stroke and he was on blood thinners. And uh, one day he forgot about the guard being up and he set it down on his leg. And it was. It was a uh, nip and tuck whether or not he was going to survive that incident because of the amount of blood thinners that he had in his system simply by, by disarming the warning device that is there. I beg you, don't, don't disarm the warning device of the Holy Ghost. If it convicted you 20 years ago, it, it's still the Holy Ghost today, and it didn't change. And if God dealt with you about that back there when you first got in the church, can I tell you that it's still important in this hour? If God smote your heart about it, don't override that. Don't, 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 don't just say, well, I, I'm experienced enough now. I can get by without doing that now. I don't have to adhere to that now. Amen. I've been doing this long enough. I don't need that divine. I'm going to tell you every one of us have to be careful every one of us have to be uh, aware of the danger that is out there certain little conversation begins and that warning device starts going off hey this is inappropriate this isn't right and you don't adhere to that advice and before you know it you cross lines that you thought you'd never cross more. You're on the job and there's an insistence of doing things that are dishonest. There's a warning device that goes off. You've got to keep your integrity. You can't cave in to the pressure and the compromise of this world. You've got to keep your character, man of God. You got to realize, I got to stay true at the end. I'm not going to stand before these fellows and I'm not going to stand before the pressure of, of, of this job, but I'm going to stand before the throne of God and give an answer for myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to disarm the warning device. There's certain things that God has placed there. So first of all, we need to hear, be able to 
know the voice of God. And I could talk for a long time about that, and I won't, but, but let me just tell you, if God has spoke to you in times past, and, and there's a pattern that develops there, and you know that this was God, uh, He still is speaking. He's still endeavoring uh, to speak to you, and you can rely upon those experiences that you've had with God to know and be able to discern what the voice of God is today. Secondly, if you fall, you know, doing the best we can do. Trying and endeavoring. You know, I've been, I've been driving a car for many years now. And trucks and everything else. And you, many of you have too, but there's still the propensity for accidents, right? I know that when your wife says, hey, you need to slow down. You say, hey. I've been I've been driving for 30 years now. I've been doing this a little while. Come on now, don't sit there all tightened up because you know it's the truth. You've said it. How many accidents have I had? Better not say that. You know, we think we can do things that, come on now, I'm just being real candid here this morning. Get on that phone and, and text everybody between here and East Coast. Because, you know, we've been driving for 30 years. I tell you, you better be careful. Because if you're not careful, you'll run it in the ditch. And it could mean your life. And it'll be the destruction of property. And it could have been avoided. But the Bible tells us no matter how experienced we are, there's going to be the propensity for this to happen. And if it happens, it's much safer and much better if we have a net to fall into. Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It's when we've disobeyed that inner voice of the Spirit. That's when we usually get in trouble. And I'm so thankful that mercy can catch us. As a young man, I remember falling off of a ladder down onto some aluminum that was piled up down below. And it was that aluminum that, that broke my fall. It would have been sure uh, breaking of bones, no doubt, because it was concrete. That was that, but it was that, that pile of aluminum. And I... I thought about that many times had that not been there, had I not fallen in that particular place. It could have meant much more harm. It could have been damage that I'd had to live with for the rest of my life. I'm going to tell you, when you don't fall into the hands of mercy, when you when you choose to walk without a safety net, when you choose to when you choose to take chances without the safety net, and you fall, amen, it's a hard fall and it's a destructive fall, but when you fall into the arms of God, when you fall into an altar somewhere, amen, and say, God, I need you to help me. I need you to restore me. I need you, God, to give me another chance. 
Come on, how many knows who I'm talking to this morning? How many knows what I'm talking about? Uh, amen, you shouldn't still be here, but mercy broke your fall. You shouldn't be able to worship as you are this morning, but aren't you thankful that mercy caught you? Thankfully, amen, you didn't receive what you deserve, but you're here this morning because of the mercies of the Lord. The psalmist said in 119 and 87, they had almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Draws my attention to Moses' experience in Exodus chapter number 3. As the Lord called to him out of the midst of the burning bush. The Bible says that that bush was not consumed destructive fire should have consumed it in just a matter of moments but it was not consumed because there was something special the Lord was speaking to Moses out of this instance can I tell you when you have God at the center of your life things that should consume you, things that should destroy you, things that should have wiped you out, things that should have taken you down, things that should have been the end of it all Thankfully, thankfully, by the mercies of God, I've got to keep God at the center of my life. I said I've got to keep God at the center of my life. And that's why in every church service, it doesn't matter what's really being preached per se, whether it's directly to me or I feel convicted in my heart. Amen. It doesn't matter if the sermon is directed towards sin sinners and or if the, uh, the, the sermon is directed towards saints of God and how to, to strengthen and encourage them. Whatever the case is, I want to make a habit of coming to the altar and following the altar and say, God, search my heart. Help me to apply your word to my heart. I don't want to just shovel it off and say, well, that really didn't apply to me today, but I want to receive everything that God has for him. Sort of like evangelist friend of mine, he went, he went to a certain church and he said, man, I was preaching a sermon that was really directed towards the lost. And he said, I gave the altar appeal and the first person that stepped out was an elderly lady. I mean, he said, when I say elderly, I mean elderly. She stepped out and looked like she'd been in the church all of her life. And she'd come down to the altar, shuffling down to the altar, and fell down, first one in the altar, praying and seeking God. Finally, he said, I was wondering what was wrong. I went over and started praying for her, and she could tell that I was concerned. And she looked up at me, and she said, I'm 90 years old. And she said, I didn't come to the altar because there's anything wrong but I come to the altar to keep things from going wrong in my life. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the altar is a safe place. I'm talking about the altar being a place that you can come and you can find hope. There's no judgment in the altar. There, there's, there's nothing to come against us when we get in that altar and cry out to God. There's nothing that can stand and point his finger of accusation at us. If we come to the altar. Amen. There's no condemnation at the altar, but there's hope at the altar. There's change that can be found at the altar. Would you stand with me right now? The Bible tells us in our text that the net was in the midst of the altar. 
that's in the midst of you. And I thought that is such an appropriate analogy for you and I. It's in the midst of you. Our hope is in the midst of you. Our ability to find mercy and salvation, it's in the midst of the altar. Our restoration is in the midst of the altar. What we have need of is in the midst of the altar. Answer is there. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 26, verse 21, As they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? They all realized we have the propensity. We're not any one of us perfect. The ones that were closest to him, the ones that were the most intense about following him, even they, it says every one of them, said, Lord, is it I? They all realized there's things that are within me in my flesh that if I don't stay on top of it they could destroy it. And the Bible actually says out of these two there was two men that messed up. Simon Peter denied the Lord not once but twice. The Bible said he went out and wept bitterly. And then of course there was Judas who gave him that kiss of betrayal. And the Bible says he went out and hanged himself. One never made it back. One lives as an example to all of us. And he's branded with the brand of a backslider. How that you can live so close to the Lord and yet and see all of the miracles, see and hear the teaching, and yet not make it. And yet there's another. He also failed him, denied him. But the Bible says he was able to find repentance. Why? Because he fell into the altar and said, Lord, I'm not worthy, but God, I need your grace. And because of the grace of God, he was able to get up and go and preach the most prolific message on the day of Pentecost. And much of what we are here today is a result of somebody that was willing to get back up and willing to go on and make another try and, and endeavor to do it again. What are you saying? I'm saying the altar is not any place that we should shun. The altar is not a place that we should look at with disdain or wonder what's wrong with somebody when they come to the altar. In fact, when it comes to that Old Testament tabernacle, the Bible tells us that the altar was there on the outer corridor just beyond the entrance into the tent itself. And then as you entered in, you went through the holy place and then into the holiest of holies where the mercy seat was. And there where the mercy seat was, they say, theologians say, that mercy, the mercy seat was at the same height as the altar. 
What are you trying to say? I'm telling you, when you fall into the altar, you're never falling further than mercy can catch you. You're never falling further than mercy can't reach to you and help you and strengthen you. So I wonder if there's anybody that wants to come to the altar here this morning. I wonder if there's anybody that wants to come around this area here in the front and say, God, I'm, I'm building a personal altar before you this morning. I, I need you to help me. I need you to change me. I need you to work in my life. I need you to do a work, God, deeply within me. Jesus, I want to be ready. God, I don't want to be cavalier. I don't want to have a cavalier attitude or atti a spirit, God, of, of being careless. But God, I want, Lord, to walk with you and serve you and live for you and do your will according to the opportunities that you've afforded me to get to the altar. As they begin to sing here this morning, I wonder if you wouldn't pour your heart out to God. This is the safest place that you could come us to the altar. This is the no judgment zone, the altar. This is where help is found.